Betsy DeVos is back in the news, and this time it was really ugly. Plus, teachers will tell you student absences are one of their biggest annoyances. Now data tells us just how much students miss school. Finally, bullying is down, way down. But for a lot of teachers, it doesn't feel like it. Why the disconnect? Those topics plus kids these days on this edition of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. So let's introduce them. Luann Fox, you're back again. What do you teach? Hi there. I teach high school English. Uh, Jason Stelig, it's been a while. You're back on the panel. What do you teach? High school honors and advanced science. And Elaine Jarden, you're also back for a second week in a row. What do you teach? Eighth grade math. When you're not on maternity leave, That's which right. you have been on maternity leave. <laughs> and I should say we are taping this on Mother's Day. So happy first Mother's Day, Elaine. Thank you. All three of them are public school teachers in the Kansas City metro area. I should also say happy Mother's Day to my wife as well. It's her first Mother's Day, too. Let's get to it for this episode. Uh, well, we're here again. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos goes to an academic institution in America and gets an ugly welcome. This time it was very ugly. She was invited to give the commencement address earlier this month at Bethune-Cookman University. That's a historically black college in Daytona Beach, Florida. From the second she was introduced, it was chaos. Students stood up and turned their back on her. The crowd booed her raucously. At one point, the president, Dr. Edison Jackson, had to get on the mic and warn students that if they did not cease, the program would be canceled and they'd get their degrees in the mail. Somehow, DeVos got through her 20-minute speech, at times praising Bethune-Cookman for its commitment to service and spotlighting several students who had graduated um, working through some challenges and personal resilience. She also said, quote, one of the hallmarks of higher education is the ability to converse with and learn from those with which we disagree. Even before the speech, students at Bethune-Cookman Bethune had started a petition trying to get her removed as commencement speaker. There were protests on campus all week leading up to graduation. Of course, this is all connected to statements now recanted that DeVos made back in February when she called historically black colleges and universities, quote, true pioneers of school choice. She later revised that, acknowledging that HBCUs came out of an era of segregation when they were typically the only higher education options for blacks. Well, we've talked on this program several times about Betsy DeVos. It has been a while, uh, but we've talked about how educators and people who care about public education, how they should feel about her and what they should do, if anything, to oppose her or try to work with her, give her a chance. Um, so we're back at Betsy DeVos. This was a particularly ugly scene at Bethune-Cookman. It had a lot of people in education talking. I wonder, for the teachers at the table, how did you feel about it? Do you feel like this is getting old? Do you still feel like um, there needs to be a resistance against Betsy DeVos? How do you feel about this incident at Bethune-Cookman? I certainly feel that uh, it was inappropriate for her to be there. It's their graduation. And this isn't a time, you know, there's a Greek word called kairos, which is about time and place. And, and I just, understanding what time and place issues are, I don't believe that was appropriate at all. Jason, Elaine, agree with Luann? Absolutely. Um, I am happy to see people still resisting her, actually, instead of accepting her. She's no friend of public education. And as public education teachers, I think we all value that system, and she's a direct threat. So yeah. good for them. Oh, Jason. I like how you mentioned that it was a good opportunity for dialogue when there was no dialogue. It was a one-sided conversation with her preaching to a group of students. And if she really wanted dialogue, then she should create a forum. 
all of you seem to be in agreement that this, this these these um, instances of public opposition, um, they're not hurting the cause, the resistance against Betsy DeVos. No, I mean, you, you're actually having students who can critically think and they can recognize hypocrisy and they're they're not being sheeple here. I mean, they're they're exercising what their rights are and, um, and they're not going to be silenced. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of like when we were talking about just why why the college may have chosen her. And I think perhaps they were interested less in her political views, I guess I would call them, and more in the honor of the office. You know, having the secretary of education on your campus is a big deal. However, like we had discussed, um, if you think about Arne Duncan and other previous secretaries of education, their speeches are not this public because they're not this controversial. Uh, yeah, I mean, Arnie Duncan might very well have given commencement addresses during his time in office. And I, I don't remember them because they never made news. Right, exactly. And I'm happy that she's back in the news because the Secretary of Education is, I don't know, not um, always as publicized. And I think it's good that the conversation is continuing to come back. Well, she had kind of been off the radar for a while, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Jason, you're nodding. Yeah, she was. I, I thought she was in a cave with Kellyanne. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to to your point about her, to the, about the college you know, maybe it was more about the attention that could be received mm-hmm. from the HBCUs. And so they did that as a, as a mechanism in order to draw attention to the causes that they are and, and their foundation. And then to your point about hypocrisy, you know, I, I don't know if it's so much hypocrisy as it is ignorance and, and the fact that her, her background is not public education. Her, mm-hmm. her knowledge is not public education. Her knowledge is private education, private schools, vouchers, uh, the you know, the the antithesis of kind of what we've built America around, which is strong public schools. And so when she speaks, she speaks very one-sided because she only speaks from what her experience is. And I don't necessarily have I seen her actually broaden out to get a better grasp of what publication or public education means in America. Well, I know at least a couple of you have interesting experiences of politicians interacting with the schools you're either at as teachers or as students. Um, what is... Um, and what is the role of a of a politician in a public education institute? Um, what role can they play, or should they play in, in you know in, in an address like a commencement address or an incident like this? It's hard because I feel like sometimes um, politicians are just using students as a great photo op. Um, for example, at a school that I taught at, there was a certain politician that would come visit frequently for the photo op, but he was no friend to the students in that school. Um, and the kids knew it. And so they would actively um, comment about him and his presence in the building. They weren't allowed to have their passing times when he was in the building because he chose to not travel with security detail and instead wanted kids to stay in their classrooms. Um, and so, you know, it disrupted their day to day education beyond just his political thoughts. Uh, so I don't know. I kind of feel like Betsy is not in that same realm. I think she perhaps accepted the invitation without the same agenda, but often politicians are guilty of using kids. Though speaking of security details, she does travel. With right, us. she she's, does. She's the first education secretary to ever have a security detail. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, good word to end on. If you want to watch a video, you, you probably already have, but if you want to watch a video of Betsy DeVos trying to 
make her way. And she does, I should say, finish her speech at Bethune-Cookman. You can find a link to that at our website. Our podcast today is sponsored by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes one day all children will have the opportunity to attain an excellent education. You can make an immediate impact on that mission in Kansas City. To find out how, visit teachforamerica.org or find them on Twitter at TFA underscore KC and on Instagram at TFA KC. Absences. It's one of those things in education that probably doesn't get talked about enough. A Department of Education report from a few years ago called chronic absenteeism a, quote, hidden educational crisis, noting that more than 6 million students, that's 14 percent of the national population of school-aged children, missed more than 15 days of school during the 2013-14 school year. That same report noted chronic absenteeism is connected to lower levels of achievement and reading proficiency and ultimately is an indicator of students' likelihood to drop out before graduation. Education Week recently reviewed some of the latest research on the effects of absenteeism. The article by Sarah Sparks points out that the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA, requires schools to report chronic absenteeism and also push districts to put absenteeism in their accountability systems. So we now have an unprecedented amount of data about students who are absent and can begin to quantify, not just guess, what absenteeism does to learning. Among some recent findings, one study out of Stanford University found rates of chronic absenteeism among the 50,000 some middle and high school students studied nearly tripled when researchers took into account students who missed partial school days, say a single class or half a school day. That study also found nearly 90% of partial day absences were unexcused, indicating skipping. Also, maybe not surprisingly to teachers, the first and last periods of the day were the ones most likely to be missed. (laughs) So we have teachers around here nodding around the table. According to federal data, Native Americans, blacks, and Hispanics are all more likely to be chronically absent than their white peers. Chronic absenteeism is 20% more likely among English language learners than native speakers. Chronic absentee rates, maybe not surprisingly, are highest in high school grades. One in five high schoolers are chronically absent and rates spike in high school for students in all demographic categories. So the mood around the table has the air has gone out of the (laughs) teachers as you get all those statistics. Uh, What are the patterns you see in absenteeism at your schools? Luann, I know you are particularly fired up about this issue. Well, I, I believe there's different kinds of absenteeism. I mean, there's there are the students who just are disinterested in school. So they they look for any any way to get out of school that they can. Um, the students I teach and um, many of the students uh, of, of teacher friends of mine um, would be sort of on the other end and they, they've always been told that they're bright. They are bright and um, they're involved in many activities. Uh, one of the reports that I read talked about push and pull factors. Um, they're they're susceptible to both. I mean, there are things that go on in the school, um, any number of things that, that um, take them away from classes because they're doing other things um, that are also serving the school but not being in your classroom. And then there's those other factors where um, they're, they're out on college visits or they're extending their break or they're um, – extending time with their family after a dental appointment or whatever. Um, But just that pervasive thought that they can just make it up. They're bright, so they can just make it up whenever. And um, there really is no urgency. Um, there's the idea that it's it's just something that was manufactured that you're giving them, and that they can just uh, they can just get it somehow. Even though no one wants busy work, that's the only way that that would actually ever work. So you, you, so interesting. So the 
the stereotype image that I have in my head as a kid who skips class, doesn't want to be there smoking in the bathroom, you know, maybe troublemaker, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that there's also a class of, of, of kids who who miss class a lot, who are being pulled out of class because they are um, high achievers, that they're, they're, you know, star students who are being asked to do other things, maybe go on field trips, do things, and, and still there's no impotence to have them make up the work. No, because they just feel like it's just, it, that's all it is, and it's just something that they can make up. And I, I think what they fail to understand, and I can't speak for all teachers, but I believe that if you're really trying to, to teach kids in a way that, you know, makes interaction be the, the focal point that makes learning actually happen, then you're scaffolding instruction and that there's this interactive component and you are the professional in the classroom and what you're doing is you're monitoring and adjusting all the time. And if you don't have students there to monitor and to be able to adjust instruction and you're 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 reaching um, to you know, like a project place where something has to, to be done um, and they don't understand the steps along the way, then um, they, they don't achieve as much and they, and they don't learn as much. And then, of course, they get frustrated. Jason, Elaine, you guys both teach secondary grades as well. Do you, does what Luann is saying resonate with you? <clears throat> I believe so. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a science teacher, and so we believe that in, in our curriculum that it's like a spiral staircase. And so as you as you go up the spiral, you hit, you hit the point, you go up a little bit further, and you hit a little higher point, and so you're constantly building up. And I had a kid, to her point about being pulled out of the classroom, you know, seven of nine days in a row he was pulled out during AP Chemistry. Well, AP Chemistry is an extremely lab-based class, and so when you go to try to, to make up the work, you're not just making up some practice problems with stoichiometry, you're really making up labs. And the issue becomes is as they miss those labs and as they miss the dialogue and the conversation that happens with the learning, they start falling behind. And so they, a lot of times they never actually elevate up the spiral staircase, right? Or if they do, they're actually going two full rotations up, but they're missing the piece in the middle. And what was he pulled out for? Like, just Do you, do you there remember? Was, uh, there were... There were guests who had come, and so he was he was at a panel. Um, and then the next then the next day, he was actually a tour guide for uh, some new people who came in. And then we had a new student, so he was pulled out to be the guide for so the new student. So ostensibly positive reasons. Positive but, reasons, yeah. and the student was like, "I just don't know how to say no." And it's like it's very easy, no, right? I mean, you have to <laughs> you have to say to yourself that my education is is more important. And he realized it too. He actually realized he's like, I'm missing out on all this instruction, but they keep asking me to do it. And it's like, and how, how so? How does he make up a lab? How does he make up work? Well, and that kind of gets me to the other point that she was trying to make is most of our kids work after school or they're in mm -hmm. sports after school. Uh, so if you want to come and make up a lab, the teacher has to be available after school. But at the same time, that kid also has to be available after school to make up that work. And a lot of times it's two or three weeks later that the kids come back and say, oh, you know, I forgot to do that lab. I didn't get that lab. I need to make it up now. And it's like, well, at this point, you're two, three chapters beyond where you were then. And so then they're trying to go back and relearn the information that they never learned in the first place. Yeah. Right. And then they have to then try and do a lab, but they don't fully understand it. So the meaning behind the work itself is lost. It's more work for you. It is more work for yes. us. Oh, yeah, Elaine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I remember distinctly when I taught high school, when kids reached whatever age it is, you can call yourself out. And so they would decide, you know, they were 16 weren't, or 17. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. weren't going to come to senior comp. They would just, you know, call downstairs on their cell phone, call the attendance office and excuse themselves. And they could do that. Legally, they can. <laughs> school can't say you can't. Um, so I remember that. Um, in middle school, there's obviously not that happening. Um, but one thing I find kind of ironic is that we offer attendance incentives. So yeah. every month, if you have 90% attendance or better and no ISS or OSS, 
you get pulled from class for a few hours to celebrate your attendance. <laughs> How and, ironic. And the thing that drove me bonkers is it was always the same hour, always from seventh and eighth hour. So my seventh and eighth hours would be decimated, you know, once a month because we were pulling them from class to celebrate them going to their classes. I don't know. Um, one of my big soapboxes as a teacher is protecting instructional time. And I'm known around my school as being really rude if you interrupt class or pull kids out. But I think it's so it's because it's so important that they're there. Just like both of you have said, a lot of people think with math, it's like, oh, they can just watch Khan Academy. They'll learn the steps. It's fine. That's not what we're doing in math class. We're doing experiments. We're having dialogue. We're challenging each other's ideas. And you just can't do that well, through watching a video. The, yeah. The, I mean, the general and Jason, sorry to cut you mm -hmm. off. I mean, the general feeling then about chronic absences or or. or it's almost like it, it devalues the actual act and art of teaching, right? That you you don't, um, you know, they can miss class because yeah, I'll, I'll just make it up. It doesn't really matter. But they, but there really is a lot going on there. Right. I mean, I think about like skipping a class in college. I think everybody's done that, where it's like, yeah, I did the reading, but if you don't go to class, you miss all this mm -hmm. other stuff that just happens organically. Um, and then you end up having these mm -hmm. gaps. And then yeah, who and, fills and, the gaps and, at the secondary yeah. level? Right. The and teacher you, is and supposed to. you can't quantify to. that, but you know that's important in learning. Right. Yeah. And I, I can't possibly, like, provide a transcript to a child of every single thing that happened when they were gone that day. You know? It's like we talked about Pythagorean theorem or something, and that doesn't really yeah. capture what happened. Yeah. What I'm hearing yeah. from you all is that even though absences is obviously a, a, a student-centered problem, right? The kid is out of class a lot of the onus for making it up falls on teachers. Absolutely. I just think there's just has been a big shift in the prioritization of being in class. And I don't know if it's because we're expected to become more and more and more proficient with the, uh, you You're know. saying it's not as much of a priority <laughs> yeah. of being in class. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with the digitization of everything, if, if that, like, you know, just stick it on Google Classroom, stick it here, stick it there. I mean, you know, if, if they were going to go to online school and do online learning, then that should have been what they signed up for. At some point, that seems that's what they that's what they're just more interested in doing because it's just easier where they can do it on their own time. But I mean, I think real true learning deals with all of this interaction that we've talked about. As you say, students more prominently now have that attitude. Oh, absolutely. That, that they don't necessarily have to be in class because they can just find it online or they can go to your Google Classroom. Right. Yep. And they can make it up that way. And, you know, Haru Mastrano in A Nation of Wimps actually argues that, you know, this is the first generation of, of, of kids who, who know more than their parents um, in a very particular way. And this is going to be about um, this digital age that we're in because most of us are immigrants and they are not. They're natives. So... Um, Parents defer to their students when their students are like, I can catch it online or I can do X or I can do Y or Z. And parents don't understand it that much. So they're like, well, OK. And they just think that it's that it's just it's OK to not be there because they'll get it some other way. And I think that helps to devalue what we're doing as teachers as well. <laughs> to that point of digitization, <clears throat> you had mentioned reading. Uh, kids could go home and read what they had missed during the day. But because of the advancement of technology, uh, my kids will tell me, I don't know how to study. I don't know how to read. Mm -hmm. I, I can I can go online and I can I can look up for an answer and I can find it. But that but that the the research that comes involved with actually reading and comprehending what they're reading and how to take notes on that reading, which you know we had to learn 
when we were younger, those kids feel like now now that I get the answer right away, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't have to invest the time in right. finding out why something is true. Well, and so to that point, that's what makes it just even so much more important that you're in class. You know, like with math, you can plug anything into a variety of websites, Wolfram Alpha for one, that'll show you step by step how to solve. And so that's not what we assess anymore because kids can find an answer so quickly. It's not about answer getting, it's about the process. And the process is exactly what you miss when you're not when you're not there. Um, if you want to see the research that Ed Week highlighted in regards to chronic absenteeism, you can find that at our website. Let's move on to some more research on a different topic. A new study by the journal Pediatrics indicates bullying in schools is down, way down. The study surveyed a quarter of a million students in Maryland in grades 4 through 12 over 10 years, different students in different years, and found that reported experiences of bullying dropped significantly over the past decade. The headline stat here in 2005, more than 28% of students reported being bullied in some way. It's pushed, slapped, threatened, had rumors spread about them, bullied online. By 2014, that number, 28%, had dropped to around 13%. There were also big drops in students who reported that they had bullied other students. Also, students who reported witnessing bullying saw similar declines. At the same time, positive responses to a question about whether adults at school do enough about bullying jumped up from around 39% in 2005 to 71% 10 years later. Also in the latest survey, nearly 30% of students nearly 90% of students reported having a feeling of safety at school. The pediatric study does note a paradox of sorts. Because bullying has justifiably received a considerable amount of attention over the past several years, public media campaigns, school-based awareness efforts, social media hashtags, the whole nine yards, there is a perception that bullying is actually increasing or getting worse, but instead this study has found significant improvements over most of the factors that have been surveyed. So for our teachers at the table, your experiences in school, do you see this trend of bullying going down or is it taking on new forms that maybe this study is not capturing? What do you think? I My students will tell me that uh, physical bullying, acts that you can see in school, all of that has really decreased a lot. But they're assuring me that um, online bullying, um, doing that through social media is absolutely increasing. Yeah, Jason, Elaine? I wonder if um, perhaps the number of smaller incidents is going down, but because I feel like in just my anecdotal experience that it's up. Um, And maybe it's just because some of the acts of bullying that are happening now are so sensational. They stand out in my mind more than like a kid being shoved in the hallway would. Um, But this study does not align with my perception. Right. I mean, and I mean. With the caveat of student privacy concerns, can you can you go into, I mean, you're t- saying sensational acts of bullying. What what might those be that you've experienced? I mean, some of the images that students Photoshop and create of each other and then distribute are just, I, I, I don't know, shocking, I guess, for not having grown up in that era. I mean, for example, we had a student who was taking photos of other students in the bathroom and then sharing those around the school. And, you know, when I was in high school or even early in my teaching career, nobody was like, standing at a copy machine making copies of like photos that they had taken to target to be developed off film and distributing them around you know i think sometimes the digital immediacy makes it easier to um i don't know do things like that so when i think about the number of kids who are afraid to like use the bathroom at school or use the locker room at school that to me seems so much more prevalent than it did when i started teaching 10 years ago but maybe i'm just in settings where it's happening i don't know 
so there is a more there is more openness, I guess, uh, among staff, among students and staff, mm-hmm. just about issues of bullying. It's, it's an easier topic to broach them. It might have been in a in a previous generation or even five, ten years ago. Do you guys think that? Absolutely. Um, it definitely gets more play um, and just just more time. And 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 to Elaine's point, um, because the ones that 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 have dire consequences, um, you know, like suicide or uh, hospitalization. I mean, um, that tends to bring uh, school together sometimes, and uh, it, it shifts focus. Um, but you know, the the smaller acts of like shoving kids in lockers, or or throwing slurs, or you know, I don't know, taking lunch money. Um, those things all take a backseat to to that which is more sensational. So those kind of quintessential prototypical instances of bullying that you might have seen on Freaks and Geeks is not there anymore or not there as much. Not not as much because I think uh, social media is just so easy. It's it's it is it's just so easy. Students will tell me any number of times that if we're talking about something that's uncomfortable in the classroom everybody's conducting themselves appropriately, but you know, take it outside on uh, after school and, uh, you know, looking on social media. And, and there's there's lots of different opinions about that. And sometimes they get ugly with each other. Uh, can, I mean, can you pick that apart a little bit? I mean, what does that look like? So, I mean, if I mean, again, I don't you know, I don't want you to to talk about particular students, but what's an incident where, like, you might have seen something boiling under the surface in class, but then it really exploded online? Oh, uh, transgender bathroom bill, when that was uh, bigger um, a little while ago, um, I did see some students post on on Twitter um, negative comments about, like, uh, I guess now we have to focus on the trannies. Uh, now we have to now we have to deal with that. There there was one comment on Twitter, something about uh, we didn't appropriately honor veterans on Veterans Day, but at least we spent a lot of time talking about transgender bathrooms. Um, and I don't know if that was referencing, like, say, a history class or, or something, but, you know, there's, there's student unrest about... Um, what they think would be appropriate, and then they take that out on kids. Um, you know, you've got conservative kids with liberal kids. You've got, you know, different opinions in the classroom, and while they seem to be able to conduct themselves well, um, out, outside, uh, you know, there are definitely instances where kids come and they talk about how they have felt, um, I wouldn't say threatened, but belittled um, through social media. Does that, I mean, that's an interesting is you're talking about, I think, something that the nation has been talking about for mm-hmm. weeks now, right? This this idea of, you know, political differences and polarization mm-hmm. and censorship and whatever that may look like. And people feeling not, you know, like they, they've been, they're not able to share their political views mm-hmm. depending on what crowd they're in. But that discussion in class gets kind of curtailed, but then it it really bubbles up and, and, and gets really hurtful online. Yeah, um, specifically, there uh, one student of mine tweeted uh, just because she gets to tweet her thoughts and she, that she regretted having a, a president who would actually have said at one point that it was okay to grab a woman uh, by those parts, and she did name that, and basically the comment back to her was no one would want her anyway. So the comment To that made, student. Yes, yeah. so the comment made that personal, and then there was just the pile-on after that. I mean, once one student breaks that barrier, um, somebody else can like it and somebody else can can respond to that. And, you know, coupled with this, it's going to be the um, peer pressure that students do feel. I mean, I teach 16 and 17 year olds um, that they shouldn't be they shouldn't be talking about it. Uh, They should be able to handle it. 
So there's a lot of peer pressure to to not report instances like this. Do you guys, I mean, Jason, Elaine, do you guys feel the, the same way that the, the stuff online, maybe it's either hard to capture or it's just so prevalent that um, we're just still now kind of getting a handle on, on how pervasive it is? I mean, I don't know a ton about the laws around how far a school can go for consequences with things that have occurred outside of school. You know, I think if you were doing some of this cyberbullying stuff using district equipment or during the school day, the school would have more of a leg to stand on. But if you are doing these things at home, off of school time, unless it's affecting that student's education at school, I really don't think that the school has a leg to stand on. You know, I mean, we can have a conversation, but you can't give a consequence in the way that you could with somebody, you know, taking someone else's lunch money or using a slur in a classroom. Right, Jason. I think also with the the stories, right? Your story on Snapchat. Yes. Right. You know, one Snapchat of the examples I was the I think one of the examples I was thinking was that, you know, there was a girl who had a sexual relation with another boy and, you know, she she didn't want that to come out, but then it got it got out onto Snapchat and then that that got part of their story and then it got shared with other people and and so like this decision that she had made that was a private decision was no longer a private decision, became a public decision. And then to the idea of t- putting a tweet out, well, then that could be retweeted and then shared out right on someone else's. And so that, now you're just taking some, you're taking one act and it becomes perpetuated over and over and over and again. Snowballs. And snowballs. Right. And with a Snapchat, you know, it just disappears 15 seconds later, but the knowledge doesn't disappear. Well, and I think a big issue at our school is students using each other's devices. Like, oh, you know, at passing time, it's like this huge, I don't even know what you would call it, shuffle, I guess, of phones. They're all trading each other's phones around. Really? Yeah. And then Ew. they like are like going through each other's phones and like, you know, doing their thing. And so then it's even hard to know where the source really is because like maybe it came from Kyle's phone. But who knows if Kyle really sent it because he handed it off to Jason during passing time. You know, you can always have that as an excuse. Right. right? And I, I try. I, I didn't send it. Yeah, my friend did. It makes me think of the podcast Serial, right, which I feel like the main <laughs> message was don't lend people your stuff. <laughs> um, but that's kind of it is it's like you're pulling at all these little threads and it's really hard to find the truth. Yeah. I mean, how so bullying, at least based on this conversation, bullying seems to be almost something that's totally dominated now by the online digital form that that even stuff that happens in the real world is predicated by what was said online or oh, what yeah. was sent online all that, the fights start because of something online or absolutely. they're set up online or you know so and so is going to jump so and so it's all coordinated and everything online so well the, before it comes in so school. someone who's not a teacher might ask like why not just prevent them from bringing phones to school or take their phones away before they get into class. I think after Columbine, it changed everything. I don't think you in how what find, ways? How so? Uh, well, after Columbine, I mean, it was just kids need to get a hold of their parents, and I think that because that happened, and because of certain school shootings after that, um, I just I, you're not, you're going to be hard pressed to find a school district that will implement. We are not going to allow kids to have cell phones. <clears throat> I, parents, I think parents parents absolutely. are the absolute the main reason. I from what I'm hearing from you three at least is that this. This study from pediatrics doesn't necessarily ring true, at least in your lived experiences right now in school, that you that you feel that bullying at least is is going up or is that getting worse or is that I feel like the caveat is the in school. Right. Because maybe bullying is down in school because they're doing all this other nonsense outside of school. So maybe technically, like within the four walls of the school building, bullying is down if it doesn't account for stuff that's happening while they're at home. 
Well said. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's move on to the end of this episode. We end each episode with a segment we call Kids These Days. Our teachers tell us about the things trending among their students over the past week. It's a window into the sometimes strange world of teachers. So each week we ask, what are your kids into these days? Luann, start us off. What are your kids into <laughs> these days? So my students have just taken the AP language exam this last week, and many of those students take other AP exams um, as well. So one of the things that has happened uh, always is after the exam, they blow off steam, and many students choose to go on social media, mostly Twitter, to make memes. And the challenge then is to make very clever memes. And I'm not talking about my students particularly. I'm talking about this is like a, a nationwide student kind of thing. It almost becomes like the contest after the contest of, of, of writing well. And, of course, the College Board doesn't like any of this. And they always threaten to, you know, get the kids and invalidate the scores. And, and uh, th- they do, actually. So we are always encouraged to get that message out as well. And so so I mean, and this might that. require a little bit of context. So uh, for an AP test, every student in the nation taking that AP test takes it on the same day. Ab- well, correct, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. But there's different time zones. So right. a kid on the East Coast will be taking it before a kid on the West Coast and before a kid in the Midwest. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, the idea is that you're not supposed to tweet anything, um, put anything out there on social media that's going to be about the test. And, of course, kids try the system. And so what what really is funny is that they're clever at doing it, and it's it really can be a riot to read what those things are about. And so I tried to explain to my students that uh, if they wanted to read them, that would be fine. I mean, I would be doing that, but that they needed to not interact with that in any particular way. And so, I mean, that's what my kids are into these days would be talking about, like, oh, did you see this meme? And did you catch this meme are about there, this? Because it was hilarious. Are there actual answers that get tweeted out or, or, or what, what kids think are the answers, right? Because they obviously don't know yes. the exact answers. Right. But what kids have problems with get tweeted out. Like if kids didn't know something like one of the famous ones, not my students because they knew, but like, <laughs> but, but I mean, what was colloquial? How was I supposed to know colloquial? How am I supposed to know what et al means? Um, well, how was I supposed to know what artifice meant? Um, you know, and so like getting out those gripes and those frustrations. So, you know, well, these are items that are on the test or, um, you know, um, my, my communist mother, um, there, there were clever things about that because there was something written about that. And I think the synthesis essay, I can say that now because we're days away from that, had, had to deal with uh, uh, the efficacy of libraries and should we have libraries. So there were lots of memes about Forrest Gump running to the library to renew his library card, uh, you know, while he was taking a yoga class because there was something about that's what the use of libraries seem to be about anymore um, is to offer yoga classes and Pilates classes. So, I mean, as as somebody who just <laughs> looks at that stuff, I was able to know right. um, items that were on uh, and frustrations, you know, about that test. And, and that's certainly a, a violation, but the kids just had a great time experiencing that. And uh, my line was drawn in that they weren't supposed to participate. In Hashtag that. colloquial. <laughs> Hashtag yoga in the stacks. <laughs> that's not meaning what you think it yeah. means. <laughs> All right, Jason, what are your kids into these days? Uh, this weekend, uh, Chance the Rapper uh, came back to Kansas City at the Amphitheater. Where no for, wrong answers tapes, right? So yeah, Kansas. and uh, uh, for his uh, mixtape of coloring book. And a lot of my kids were into that and going to the concert. And so we spent the last few days 
listening to the clean versions <laughs> of Chance's mixtape. And you have not actually been back to school since the concert, so you have not heard their mm. reviews of the concert I will not itself. heard the reviews, but I will hear all about them on Wednesday <laughs> when I do return. <laughs> Hashtag absent teacher. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and Elaine, you are, you have been on maternity leave, I as we've noted I've before. Thought of one. You've thought of one. I so, okay, one. so what is your kids' these? What are your kids into these days? They're into the end of the semester grade grub. So anytime a student submits work on Google Classroom, you get an email. And then when they resubmit it, you also get an email. And when I checked my email on Friday, I had 437 new Google Classroom submitted assignments because kids are under the wire to have them all submitted in before Wednesday when grades get cut off. And because you're on maternity leave... Have fun, sub. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to deal with any of them. Nope. (laughs) Did you just delete them all? I sure did. It felt great. (laughs) Inbox zero is easy when you're not working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll do it for this episode of No Wrong Answers. We should say Teach for America, Kansas City is the underwriter of this podcast. No Wrong Answers does retain total editorial control. What our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of their schools and districts. We will have our weekly extra credit segment drop on Thursday. Look for that in your feed. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you find us, just subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've heard today, subscribe, leave us a review, keep the conversation going. I should say Apple Podcasts. That's what it is now. What you may have known as iTunes is now Apple Podcasts. So subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our teachers this week, Luann Fox, Elaine Jarden, Jason Staliga. Thanks as always to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3 Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. I'm Kyle Palmer. And remember, kids, be nice to your teachers. (laughs) 